You're listening to Nightcaller. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. You're here with your hostess, Lauren Smith. And tonight we're going to be chatting with Cliff Berrickman, Bigfoot researcher, evidence analyst, and one of the founding members of the hit series Finding Bigfoot. But before we get into it, I would like to ask that you show some love for the hardworking Nightcaller's team by hitting that thumbs up on whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and ring that notification bell for updates on new shows and new content. You can find Nightcallers on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, or any of the podcast apps of your choosing. And now I'm not going to hold you up any longer. I'm going to go ahead and bring on our guest, Mr. Cliff Berrickman. How are you doing tonight, Cliff? Oh, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Of course. I'm honored that you're here. And I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Okay, I've got a lot of time. Aren't you lucky? I'm so lucky. So lucky to have you here. <laughs> so how are things in Oregon? They're, they're, they're all right, you know. Um, I mean, you may, not have, you may not know this, but there's a plague uh, ravaging the land. Um, that that's kind news. of, yeah, it's kind of set some things back, I suppose. Um, other than that, I don't know. I mean, things are good. And the museum's kind of rolling, rolling along. Um, it's been a little slow lately because not only is there a plague, but back a, a few months ago, there were some fires and things like that, that kind of slowed traffic up and down the mountain. But you know what? Uh, my, my attitude is this. I'm blessed to be here in the first place. Um, I'm an extremely lucky person. Um, and if I can survive this year, yes. I will sur- <laughs> I will thrive every other. And um, yes. you know, so I'm surviving. And for yeah. 2020, not bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, so right now you're at the museum. Right? I am literally at the museum in the front room of the museum in the gift store. You can see some stuff behind me and whatever else, you know. That's awesome. So, yeah, That's awesome, it, it, you guys. This is where the magic happens. I could take you in back, but I don't know how I'd carry everything with me. I got <laughs> I got, I got my, my Yeti microphone right here and all that other stuff. I mean, I could try if you want. I mean, it'd be an adventure, but we can go back if you like. So We should have planned this to have you like on a rolling cart. <laughs> <laughs> right, like a dolly. You know. Yeah. Hello, okay, dolly. so I'm going to go ahead and get started with the actual interview mm-hmm. um, because I have quite a few questions to get through and not, you know, quite a few of them are mine, but I had people contacting me prior to the show asking if I would relay their questions. Usually that happens from the chat, um, but people were so excited they just wanted me to know that their questions came first. So I, I do see the chat going on. I see some familiar names um, and some unfamiliar names, but um, I, I mean, I see Tom Cantrell back in there. I mean, Tom's a good friend. He and I disagree about the nature of Bigfoot, but I don't care. I don't hang out with people that I agree with. You right. know, I, what kind of challenging life is that? I, I, I hang out with good people, and Tom's one of them. I know Mike's back in there. There's a lot of good people around. So oh, yeah. there's also there's also a delay, by the way. So um, if I say something and you. Talk right away if you're living 10 seconds in my past yes um so yes. i may not be able to see it so well heads said. up on that well chat said. folks yes that, that is a little known fact about youtube chat is that um it is there is a delay everybody so um keep that in mind for sure yeah okay yeah. so and thanks for everybody for tuning in too and the yes. supporting night callers yes thank you guys and um you know thank you guys for being here live that's always more exciting to me because you guys can relay your questions to cliff whenever i get to the question and answer portion of this show so i have watched quite a few of your shows and in everything i watched um you said that how you got started in this was basically that you were always interested in bigfoot because it was a monster um, 
And you were just, you just loved monsters, Bigfoot and Godzilla specifically, but just monsters. So you've done your homework. (laughs) I I did. I do my homework. But um, how did you get started into the Bigfoot phenomena? Like what was the first thing that really set you off on this path? first thing see I don't know you know I remember like being in kindergarten there there used to be this thing that this precursor to boy scouts um actually precursor to cub scouts and it was terribly not politically correct and I'm almost embarrassed and I was called Indian guides um and and it was basically this chance for you to go camping with your dad and and like nowadays it would be just be the worst thing in the world and but it was a different time. It was 1974, mm-hmm. 1975. And so don't hold it against me. And like you name yourself, you know, give yourself a name and your dad a name, like bear, like I'd be little bear. My dad would be big bear, right? That sort of thing. And it's a, a, a way to bond with your dad and do things in the woods and that kind of thing. Um, and it's super culturally inappropriate. I totally get that now, but come <laughs> on, I, I was four for God's sake. Give me yeah. some, give me some slack. Um, and it was a different time as well. But um, I remember thinking I wanted my name to be Bigfoot. But then I thought my name would be Little Bigfoot. My dad be Big Bigfoot. And I didn't understand redundancies and oxymorons at the time, but I didn't like right. the name of it. And that's my first memory of anything Bigfoot, oddly enough. Then I, but, but I used to go camping in Sequoia National Park with my parents um, every summer because I lived in Southern California and Sequoia was pretty close and all that jazz. Um, and, and oddly enough, and um, I think it was Dunst or Durst Campground, one of the two, I can't remember. And it turns out there's sightings there. Um, but I remember going there and like going out in the morning and looking for footprints when I was just a little tiny kid and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, 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 but I've always, frankly, I've always been weird. I've always been eccentric <laughs> and that strange guy in class, you know, yeah. um, I'd always go, I, I went to the, ride my bike to the library, spent a couple hours in there, look at the Bigfoot books. And I remember looking at the Ivan Marks photographs and the PG film photograph, all that sort of stuff for as, as long as I can remember. But I've always, it's, at that time, it was always something about, the strangeness, the eccentricity, the unusual nature, the novelty of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just kind of, in the same way that like crystal skulls and Atlantis and all these other right. in, in search of topics um, in the 1970s were presented to me. Um, but it was when I was in college that I had a few hour break between classes and I went to Cal State Long Beach and I was a music major. Um, and the music department was way on one side of campus and the campus is huge. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a mile and a half from one side to the other. Um, and, and I had a couple hour break between classes, but it's a 45 minute walk. So I didn't really have enough time to go practice. I didn't have enough time to go off campus skill. So I would go into the library and pick, pick books off of the shelves in subjects that I was interested in, mm-hmm. which was mostly science in some sort of way, chemistry and biology and particularly astronomy and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then one day I was stumbling through the anthropology section. And I ran across um, two books. Uh, Man Like Monsters on Trial, and uh, The Scientist Looks at the Sasquatch. The first one was a, con- a collection of scholarly jar- journal articles from the 1978 British Columbia Conference um, by Halpin and Ames. And the second one was um, uh, a collection of stuff, mostly, I think, from Northwest Anthropological Research Notes, edited by Dr. Grover Krantz and uh, Markotic was yes. the guy's last name. Um, those books uh, like spun my head because like, oh my God, scientists are doing things about this. And the more I read about the evidence, not stories that people told, but the evidence. And that's when I started realizing, holy crap, these things are not only fun and quirky and weird, but they, they might be real. And since I was already a backpacker and a camper and all that sort of stuff, you know, I just kind of put Bigfoot locations on my list of places to go do those things. And 
Um, and I, so I, I can say, I mean, I wasn't good at first. I'm not, I'm not even sure how good I am now, honestly, but, um, <laughs> back in 1994, when I started all this, right. um, you know, uh, I just did the best I could and I guess I'm still doing that, but now I, I'm hopelessly drowning in the subject. I mean, but, but voluntarily drowning, honestly, I mean, I don't oh, know. Yeah, sure. You, sure. Yeah. I don't know about you, but it's, it's just like. The more that you find out about this creature and about this topic, it's the more questions that you have. And it and unless you back away completely, it's a never-ending story. I mean, there's just always something new to learn and do. Back in my slightly more arrogant days, um, I, I thought I knew a thing or two about Sasquatches. You know, and now as I step back more, it's like, yeah, I've got, uh, there's a couple of things I'm pretty comfortable with my model, you know, mm-hmm. about Bigfoots, but like, it just opens more doors and more perplexing things, it, you know, it really does. Um, I feel, and I always tell people, you know, nobody has the corner market on Bigfoot. Nobody has all the answers. You know, this is a mystery for a reason. Um, I know that I don't even of, have all the questions, you know? <laughs> yeah, that no. too. Um, I know that in one of your shows you had mentioned, um, you know, that should a Bigfoot be found that that's not going to solve the problem of knowing everything about Bigfoot. Like that's just the, the I think the way you worded it was that it would take an a, entire another decade to learn because these things are not forthcoming with information. So no, no, they're, they're stubborn and secretive to say the least. It's a little bit elusive. Like me. Well, you know, um, so one of my questions that I will skip to because we're on that topic is um, 20 years over 20 years of research is what you've been doing. How has your mindset changed over the years? Um, And what are the significant developments that or discoveries that changed your mind from beginning to now about this creature? Well, I I guess probably in probably in a lot of ways, my mind has changed in some yeah, probably in, in very subtle ways. Um, there are some things that have not changed at all, I think. You know, I mean, I'm completely confident these are perfectly normal animals. Um, they're, they're, I understand more about pro- their probable place in, in evolution than I think I used to, um, or possible place in evolution, maybe not probable. Um, but I think looking back, I think my main, one of the things that stands out to me more than any others about how I've evolved over time is that I'm no, no, no longer necessarily pro kill. Um, and some people, uh, my, my, there's a lot of haters of course out in the world and they would all point to me and they say, that's cause you make a living on it. And, you know, cause I, I, I remember reading the same thing about Peter Byrne, you know, like uh, right. green and DeHinden and Kranz, they had all point to Peter Byrne and who was also no pro against killing. And, um, and they would say, oh, it's because he's making a living on it. And as soon as one is killed, he's going to be shoved to the side or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, well, that, that may or may not be true. Um, I, but you know, I, I don't have a seat at the academic table anyway. I have, I have a degree in jazz guitar. What good am I? <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky to have Meldrum's ear at all, frankly, right. as far as I'm concerned. You know, but I don't have a seat at the table. I'm right. just lucky to have some academic friends. Um, because Sasquatches, through through my weird life path that I don't feel I chose, by the way, I feel this, I, I don't feel I, I chose this. I think you'd have to be tremendously um, stupid or masochistic to choose this. Um, okay. I think that's somehow or another I've ended up here. I, I can say I, it chose me, but that makes me have some sort of like Jesus complex. And I'm not really like that. <laughs> like um, it, it, it'd be like, kind of like I'm rafting down a river and I end up in the ocean. Oh, I didn't, I didn't get chosen to end up in the ocean. Don't get me wrong. That's not how I think about it. You know? Um, but I, I'm not, 
be, my, my life path has, has somehow resulted in Sasquatch as being a very central focus of my life. And through that focus, the most important things in my life have materialized, I guess is a way to say it. I mean, my best friends tend to be Sasquatch folks, you know, um, my, I, I met my wife while filming Finding Bigfoot. I met my dog while filming Finding Bigfoot, <laughs> you know, bags. like, the, yeah, the, the, the greatest sources of love in my life, my wife and my dog yeah. um, came to me through Finding Bigfoot, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like, I, I, I'm blessed to own a, a museum. I'm, I'm not rich, man. I'm barely making. I didn't take a paycheck this month, that kind of thing. Like, but I make my living when I can make a living on Bigfoot. Right. Um, I'm very blessed. And to me thinking, yeah, we got to go nab one of these things. We got to go put a bullet in one of them and bring them back in. Well, what's that going to do for them? Really? It's going to have a few laws passed and stuff like that, but it's not going to do much for the Sasquatch. Um, so I've kind of taken the tack of being, uh, I'm essentially still an educator. I was an elementary school teacher before I was mm-hmm. plucked out of that world and dropped into TV. Um, I'm essentially still an educator, mm-hmm. but now my education isn't, you know, U.S. history and, you know, grammar and reading and math and stuff. It's basically Bigfoot. And the purpose isn't to create well-educated, a well-educated populace to participate in democracy. Um, it's more to soften the blow of discovery. Right. Because since Sasquatches are, in fact, real animals, it's only a matter of time till some hunter gets lucky with a shot. Right. Or a trucker rolls one over on the way to work in the morning and some right. logging operations. So, um, and I don't want these things to be viewed as monsters like gorillas were for a hundred years yes. after their discovery, yes. you know? So I'm, I'm kind of taking a different thing, you know, and I'm having a hell of a time. I love it. I love the subject. Okay. I love the, everything Absolutely. about it. But um, perhaps since the subject has given me so much of what is important to me, um, maybe I can do something good in return. So I'm 50, man. I mean, I think if I've got 30 years left. I'm lucky. Yeah. So what can I do as a, as, as, as an action of gratitude towards right. back towards where I find myself today, I guess. Right. Education is important. Um, oh yeah. Sorely know. lacking too in the American populace. Mm-hmm. Especially in the Bigfoot community. There are so many that come in um, because of shows like Finding Bigfoot. So I will go ahead and give my my usual line. And I actually have a cast member of Finding Bigfoot here to talk to about it. Um, you know, Finding Bigfoot caught a lot of crap because, oh, they never found Bigfoot. Okay. What, so, no, no, no. What defi- you have to define the word finding because we did find Sasquatches kind of a lot. <laughs> yeah. We're, you know, like over half the time we got vocalizations or knocks or something of value. Right. And you know what? If you're batting over 50% in the, in like the, the, the uh, in like the major league baseball, you're a hall of famer. Right. Yeah. And Bigfoot is harder than baseball. In my opinion. It's, it's difficult. Every time you go out, you're not going to get something every single time you go out, much less within a, a full camera crew in tow. Um, but one of the things that I loved the most about finding Bigfoot was that it opened the door for Bigfoot talk. So 10 years ago, when I started my career in human resources, I'd be damned if I talk about Bigfoot. I didn't want anyone to know that I was into Bigfoot, that I was raised up as a Bigfoot researcher. I didn't want anyone to know that. But after Finding Bigfoot came out, 
the subject became so much less taboo. You could talk about it. And by the time I left my career in human resources, people thought it was quirky and people would come up and talk to me. My cousin had a sighting. My mother-in-law loves this show. And people would approach me to talk about Bigfoot. That was unheard of before Finding Bigfoot came out. And so it opened the door for this topic to not be taboo. And to me, that's invaluable. I think that's one of the good things that Finding Bigfoot did. And my whole thing with with Bigfoot is kind of like the Hippocratic Oath of Doctors. Mm -hmm. They take an oath like, okay, I'm going to treat the patient, but the underlying um, philosophy is do no harm. Right. You know, and uh, I kind of see that with Bigfoot as well. Is that like, you know, Finding Bigfoot is a lot of things and good and bad. Um, And I was right in the middle of it. And I I understand I've been doing it a long time. You know, I'm, I'm not some newbie, you know, um, I understand the good and even the bad that might've come from the show. And at the end of the day, I think more good, you know, because, you know, the first season aside, because first season's a little out of our control. Um, there was some deceptive editing and stuff going on because the, t- the producers were making TV and they don't have a vested interest in Bigfoot. Right. It's just what they do. They make good stories and whatever. That's their, that's what they're hired to do. I can't blame them. They don't have um, a dog in this fight. Um, but after first season, when we kind of set them straight and they kind of listened to us and saw this other stuff, we never lied about Bigfoot. We didn't lie the first season, but, you know, editing is editing. But for, after first season, um, they they had to, we, it was part of our deal. They had to show us the episodes before it aired to make sure that it was up to snuff. I mean, we didn't get editing control, but they went out of the, it bent over backwards to make sure that they did not put falsehoods on the air. That's good. Now, no, I'm, I'll tell you, I, I'm the first one to admit, yeah, we didn't have to take a speedboat to get to the night investigation spot. Mm-hmm. That's television. And I'm okay with that because I was an elementary school teacher, mm-hmm. you know, um, like, you know, one of the producers uh, gave it to me this way. She goes, uh, um, she goes, Cliff, okay, you know, the volcano thing where you put baking soda and vinegar together and goes, you know, and yeah. you make a fake volcano, right? You're teaching 10 year olds. You, and you've been teaching for 20 years. Imagine this, Cliff. You've been teaching for 20 years. You put that stuff together. And, um, and are you going to go, and you've seen it before. You know what's going to happen. You're going to go, yep, there it is, guys. Yeah. No, no, you're going to go, there it is. Look at that. Oh, my <laughs> God. This is exactly what it's like. And you're going you're gonna to give it everything you have to yeah. Yeah. increase the edutainment value. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and that's, what, that's when TV clicked for me. Mm-hmm. That um, you can actually do a, a compelling, interesting, exciting show and not lie about Bigfoot yes. because the subject of Sasquatch deserves so much more than BS, um, you know, fake this, fake that, fake footage, fake whatever. It, it deserves so much more. Yes. And then at the end of the day, looking back at Finding Bigfoot, especially even season one, we didn't lie on camera. Just they, they twisted some things around. It was unfortunate. And the one time I did see a Bigfoot, they showed something else that wasn't a Bigfoot. It's crazy. But um, <laughs> uh, it, it deserves better. And I can look back at Finding Bigfoot and say, you know what? If we set it on the air about a Sasquatch, mm-hmm. we believed it. Maybe we're incorrect, but you can't fault somebody for being wrong. Um, But we never lied about Bigfoot stuff on the air. And I can't, I'm not sure if there's any other Bigfoot ghost, UFO, whatever paranormal show that can claim that. Maybe there are, but I don't know of any. Well, I think that it's amazing that you guys 
had them let you proof it before you put it on after the first season because there are quite a few other Bigfoot shows out there that I've talked to the people that were on the show and it was a standard investigation and they might have gotten some promo shots or, you know, some footage over here by this, I don't want to give away the show, by the, let's say by this little... No, we don't need to talk crap about anybody, you know? Yeah, I, I don't like that. I can talk about, I can take good things about my show. I'm not saying anything bad about any specific right. show out there. and I don't want to do that. That's not my place. Each show to me has its value in the Bigfoot community especially, but... um the scenes that were taken were misconstrued by the production team and it was found out and blown up to be this huge thing. And so I think it's really great that the Finding Bigfoot team took extra precautions and extra steps to make sure that what was put out was um, was legit. I think that's amazing. And I think that's well, a little known fact that people really, they. I mean, I think people take for granted, they say that you're out there, everything's a squatch. No, um, probably I, I'm just, I'm speculating here. 75% of the stuff that y'all had happened that wasn't squatchy was not put on air. The little bit that was, was what was put on air because that's what people want to see. Well, yeah. Night investigation. Keep in mind, we're out there for four to six hours walking around in the dark and you get a seven minute picture of that. Yes. You know, there's a whole lot of nothing happening. Yeah. And and as far as our success rate, we had a better than average success rate, I will say. But think about it, okay? Um, I've got 1,300 sightings or so in my personal database, okay? I don't publish them. It's nobody's business. I use it for my own personal use. Yeah. Moneymaker, um, who runs the BFRO, mm-hmm. they've got, I mean, 45,000 yes. um, raw reports or so. And, and some of the best investigators in the country working for the group. We had the best most up-to-date um, database that any anybody in the world has ever had, mm-hmm. period. Um, so it makes sense that like, okay, like we're going to, you know, Massachusetts. Okay, well, who do we know? Us, John Wilk. We got to call John Wilk from Squatchatusetts. He's the, the, the guy in the area. Right. What's, John, what's the most recent thing? Well, there was a sighting three weeks ago. So, oh, well, great. And then we talked to those people. We had the best, most up-to-date resources that are available in the world. So of course we're going to have a better than average success rate. Even the other, even the other TV shows, they use the BFRO database, but they only have the public version. We had the behind the scenes stuff with access to the investigators. That's why our show had the highest success rate for real Bigfoot's vocalizations and knocks and getting close and growls and all that other stuff. We never filmed one. We never filmed one. Well, so far, I should say. Um, but uh, but at the same time, we got all those sounds that you can hear and the sounds, unfortunately, that you can't hear because of the stupid microphones. Yeah. They're real. They're real. We didn't fake any of that. And I think that's kind of cool. I think, I think it's awesome. Um, like I said, to me, finding Bigfoot, no matter how... I, I call them civvies. Um, so the civilians that have never been out in the field, they're you know, sitting on their couch at home, eating popcorn and critiquing the show or whatever. Um, At the very minimum, even though they're so disgruntled that you didn't find a Bigfoot to film for them, I think at the very minimum, it at least opened up the topic. And to me, that is invaluable. And I've said that on, I can't tell you how many shows about how finding Bigfoot has opened that door to this conversation, which in turn brings in witnesses. People feel comfortable coming forward to tell their experience. I did a presentation for my site class and I told about 
how many reports were on BFRO? And I said, now imagine all the people that didn't come forward. More and more people are coming forward because of shows like Finding Bigfoot. They feel more comfortable telling their story, what happened to them, without feeling the ridicule that most would have, especially 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, you know? Well, there's so much more out there than anybody imagines. Like Moneymaker thinks that he, that perhaps the BFRO database, and by, I'm not a BFRO member, by the way, just, just so you know, Matt's my friend. He's my colleague. He's my work family. I get it, you know? But um, uh, Matt thinks he maybe has 10% of what's out there. I think he's vastly overestimating it. Um, because uh, I've, somebody, a friend of mine is a BFRO member. And so we, we got, we went into flats, which is, uh, the, some, something logging and tracking, whatever it's the behind the scenes database that the BFRO members use. And, um, so we went into flats and looked at my area. Um, and most of it is just kind of white noise. Like I heard a knock, this must be a Bigfoot noise, vocalizations, unidentified this and that's, um, even before the museum and the museums just created more stuff for me. Um, I had in my files, I probably had, I don't know, 150 more reports than flats did from my area. Yeah. And so um, the flat, uh, the BFRO and, or any group is, is, is good and bad in some ways. Um, the BFRO is all encompassing and therefore like it covers everywhere in the U S and Canada. Therefore it misses a lot. Because of that, right. if you focus on your specific area, whether right. it's in, you know, Eastern Texas or, you know, Northern Kentucky or mm -hmm. my Northern, uh, you know, the border of Oregon, Washington, like me, um, you're going to get way more just by keeping your ear to the ground than you Absolutely. will through any group, even as high profile as BFRO. Absolutely. No, that's the truth. Um, the but if you want to go with other people, that's where the groups yes. come. I'm not a group guy. I'm a quiet, introverted, loner, weirdo that <laughs> stays home whenever I can. Um, I don't do much. People are always asking me th three times today. I got asked to go to the woods with people. I don't want to go. I want to go by myself. Same. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, if you're into social bigfooting and going out with other people because you feel safer or whatever, yeah, then join groups. That's all cool. For But for me, yeah, it's not really my thing. You know? Yeah, no, uh, same. Um, mostly also just because I feel that um, other people's ways of researching don't necessarily jive with mine. And I end up being annoyed. Um, I want them to continue to research the way that they do. I'm not saying that my way of researching is, you know, the best way. I'm just saying it doesn't jive with what I want to do. And so um, I'm going to go do my thing and you go do yours. And I believe that less people in the woods um, is more productive, more, you're more likely to have an encounter, but. Well, you can also cast a wider net and I, and Tom Powell, one of my best friends is Tom Powell. You know, he wrote the authors and uh, edges of science and whatever else. Great author, great guy. I couldn't agree with him less about Bigfoot. Right. But the, the thing is like, he really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff. And this is a long time ago. Um, like I mentioned, Tom Cantrell, who's out apparently in the audience because I saw his name on the scrolly yes. thing over here, right? <laughs> Love Tom, right? I, I, and again, like Tom Powell, I don't, I don't agree with what he thinks about Bigfoot, and I'm not interested in the glyph thing that he has going. I love his book, but I'm not. I don't know if that's real or not, you know. Right. But to be fair, and Tom, I hope that you take no offense. I don't think you do because I'm not coming from that angle at all. Um, I'm glad he's doing it. Just Tom, you know, Tom. I'll, I'll go back to Tom Powell. Tom Powell once told me, he goes, clap, ah, clap. I'm really, I, I, I think it's great that you're doing the ape thing. Although I don't really, 
I don't think the ape thing is the right terminology for what I'm into, to be fair. But he goes, well, Cliff, I think it's great you're doing the ape thing because that means I don't have to. I can just keep on doing what I want to do and you take care of that. And if you get something, share it with me. And if I get something doing what I'm doing, I'll share it with you. That's all good. You know, because there's only so much time in the day essentially, yeah, you know, and, and that, and Tom, Tom Cantrell is out there doing the glyph thing. Great. I don't have time for that. I've got some other things that distract me. Right. Mm-hmm. So if Tom Cantrell gets some really good irrefutable stuff that is backed up by evidence and stuff, then, then that, then they'll listen to over there, you know, but in the meantime, I'm worried about footprints and tracking individuals over time and doing all the, doing my thing because there's only so much time in the day. Tom Powell, he's in all sorts of crazy stuff. Like you, like you read edges of science. He's, he's got some really interesting ideas. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree with it, you know, and I don't have to, it's whatever, who cares? Tom loves me anyway. Right. Right. Powell loves me anyway. I, I'd like to think Cantrell likes me, but I don't know if he does. He um, says no offense here. So. Oh, oh, did he? okay. I'm not, not catching all like that. Yeah, but uh, but you you get it. We all have different takes on this subject that we're into. There's not enough time for anyone to do even half of what there is out there. We right. depend on one another in a way to go out and to follow follow the threads that are most interesting to us. Yes. Maybe some of those threads will bear fruit in some unexpected ways, and then we'll all further our knowledge of the entire subject together. But in the meantime, everybody do what you like to do because we're all going to die real soon anyway. Go enjoy yourself and see if we can learn something. That's That's, my take, at least. Absolutely. Amen. Um, And some people take great offense at that, I might add. So uh, they do. And to me, you know, like I said, no one has the corner market on Bigfoot. No, Um, no, no. no. You know, I've been doing this for 20 years with my mom. I was raised up in this, you know, young grasshopper was out in the field as a teeny bopper with my mom. I hated it. I'm not even going to lie. My mom's favorite thing to tell me is how I used to say, I hate Bigfoot. Because I did. I hated going out with all these old people that just wanted to talk about Bigfoot nonstop. And there was no one cool to hang out with, you know, as a teenager. And um, and now I'm so into it. And so, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. And I see people that are coming into it and they're, they're new people. And they're doing things that have already been done. And my gut reaction is, well, that's already been done. Okay, you're wasting your time. But then I have to think about times have changed. Maybe it'll work. You know what? You go do that. Report back. Let me know if that works because, you know, science is whatever you, um, you know, investigate, you ultimately change as well. Tree knocks, for example. Um, You know, in the early 2000s, tree knocks were all the jam, all the rage. And eventually it got to, they didn't work anymore for a while there. Because what you investigate, you ultimately change. Yeah, yeah. And and Sasquatches are pretty quick learners too. Very much. So if if you're going to go out and do, you know, banging on trees and stuff, they're going to pick up on that real soon. Because believe it or not, you think, oh, I've got a bat, I've got a tree. What else is there? There's actually a right and wrong way to do tree knocks. Yeah, there really are. And I see, I hear about, and especially in the shop here, I hear so many people um, doing it the wrong way. And all they're doing is teaching the Bigfoots to be more elusive. Yes. Um, and which is fine. And actually at the beginning of finding Bigfoot, that was one of the concerns that we had as a group, you know, moneymaker Bobo and I, I was like, well, you know, by doing this, we're going to be showing people what to do. And then the Bigfoots are going to figure like they'll slowly adjust essentially, you know, because you can only fool them so many times Mm -hmm. um, before they pick up on it. I think at least. And, um, (laughs) and so, you know, in a way by teaching the Bigfoots, what we're up 
too. Um, it might be helping the Bigfoots, you know. <laughs> I believe so as well. Um, to because I'm ultimately on their side. Yeah. You know, I, I love this, and I'd like to see one. I like to take a picture of one, and all that other stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I'm mean, ultimately on the Sasquatch's side in this whole thing, you know. Oh, no, I, I get that completely. Um, I almost don't want them to be discovered. I do because I crave the knowledge that comes with discovery. But then I almost don't want my, I'm going to call it an addiction. I don't want my addiction to go away. <laughs> so, um, but I. It would just I, shift gears. It wouldn't go away. It, just it wouldn't go away. And, and my thing is, if we do find a body and all of that, is that then we would go from investigators to advocators. You know, we would, um turn over all of our research to protecting this species and still investigating this species rather than you can do that now. You can do that now. And in fact, I, everybody listening and everybody might hear this in the future. I strongly encourage you to be an advocate now mm-hmm. for them. Now there, we can't pass laws to protect them. Although a couple counties in Wat- Skamania and Whatcom County, they have stuff on the books, you know, a um, there, there's a couple places in the, in uh, uh, white, the, 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 the city, the township of Whitehall, for example, has yes. another one. Yeah, but those are all just kind of, you know, media sort of things. Mm-hmm. But you can do things now to help the Sasquatch. And the number one thing anybody can do is advocate for the protection of public land. Advocate for the protection of public land to keep it out of the mining and and, and not you know logging to some degree. There's smart ways to do mining. We need mining. I get it. I'm not I'm not saying that you know I'm not saying that cut all logging down. Like forget no. We need logs. I get it. You know I really do. But there's ways to do it that are less environmentally impactful than others. And every one of us, if we truly think we love Sasquatches, we should be advocating for the protection of public land. Not the deregulation of bear's ears and all that other stuff. We should be trying to protect the public land because at the end of the day, not only is it good for Sasquatches, it's good for us. We're the only species I know that, pardon me, shits in our own bed. And that's what we tend to do. I'm an environmentalist till the day I die because I'm not going to shit in my own bed until I poison myself out of sleep. You know what I mean? Um, And and who, who owns this public land, by the way? We do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Amer- the American populace owns uh, as much land. Uh, actually, it has more. We're like one of the richest things in the world. You know, mm-hmm. the American citizenship. Um, the Catholic Church probably owns more, honestly, because of the, their crusades through the millennia or not millennia, but, you know, centuries. You know, they own most of Brazil, for example. But um, <laughs> the American population actually owns a tremendous amount of land. And we're just kind of giving it away to the corporate polluters at this point. And hey, I own I own several corporations, little tiny ones that make thirty dollars a year. But I own several corporations. I'm not anti business and capitalism and all. I'm not that guy, you know. Right. But I do recognize that if you can protect public lands, mm-hmm. it protects Sasquatches. And every one of us, if we if we really think we love Bigfoots, that's the least we can do. You know, you can vote that way. You can donate to various organizations. You can do all sorts of stuff. And you don't even have to be an environmental radical to do it. Right. You know, you don't have to be a tree hugger to want your planet to survive because right now it's not. Well, and Bigfoots to survive because I don't think anything we do, I don't think logging really screws up Bigfoots at all. In fact, I think it probably helps them over time because because the herbivores start moving in as a forest, as the sunlight reaches the forest floor and more ground cover comes up and the herbivores move in and that's food for Sasquatches, right? Right. In fact, uh, road building probably doesn't bother them at all. Mining, well, pollutes the water. That can be problematic. But nonetheless, um, well, I think you hear what I'm saying. I'll I'll just stop ranting for a minute and let that sink in. 
No, um, I think that's very well said. And that's a really good point that people need to think about is that you can do something now uh, to protect the species um, that you believe in so much or that you may not believe in. But it's not even just this species, but our planet and the other species that are a food source for the species that you're out spending your time and money on looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically enough, the, the, um, ad see, I call it conservation before discovery, you know, because we're trying to conserve them. And because the only thing we can really do, in my opinion, to upset the SAS, not individual Sasquatches, but the population, you know, to upset the, 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 the healthy living of Bigfoots, you know, the, mm-hmm. the survival of Sasquatches is to pave everything, you know, which is a real danger in Florida, but very few other places. Um, Floridians apparently love to pave things and they're, and they're actually cutting off like populations of Bigfoots because you need some sort of genetic drift. You need some sort of like genetic, uh, uh, cross mm-hmm. pollination. Um, otherwise, uh, they can become inbred and all that other stuff, you know? Right. Um, but if you can, if you can advocate for public lands, like if you can go to the conservation before discovery route, mm-hmm. um, you're not only helping Sasquatches, you're helping literally every other living thing, including right. you on the planet. No, I think that's a great tack to take and a great, um, you know, sometimes if you've done it as long as we have, sometimes you feel jaded or burnout or helpless. Like this is a very good goal or motivational um, push to feel like you're still doing something to support this and to you're getting somewhere. Because I know a lot of times I feel jaded and I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels in the mud. I'm not getting anywhere. But this is something that you mentioned that is, I mean, it's a great way to still make, feel like you're doing something important for this topic or just your planet. The animals. The animals. Um, I'm going to switch gears here real quick. And yeah, I think we covered two questions so far. Is this like a nine hour show or is how's this going to happen? I tell people, everyone's like, oh, so how long's your show? I'm like, uh, basically until we get tired and decide that we've covered everything we need to cover or whether we cut it off and we're going to have a part two. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, whenever you get going with a guest that has great things to talk about like you do, I'm open to whatever. Um, but I did want to ask this question came from Stephen Hill. And today is Stephen Hill's birthday and he's a huge fan. So I would like to say happy birthday, Stephen Hill. And so this question is, what is the most unbelievable encounter that you've heard that you believe to be true? Um, unbelievable, but I think is true. Yes. Dig through your database. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you know what? Here, here's one. Um, I don't know if there's any truth to this or not, but I think it's interesting. I actually uh, um, passed it on or at least told Ken Gerhardt about it because of his uh, flying humanoids book or whatever he has out there. Right. I, I, it's in my library over there, which is why I looked by this, you know, here, 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 do this real fast. That's the rest of the museum the there. We're getting a sneak peek, guys. Yeah, there's there's a library over there in the corner if you can see it. Gotcha. But anyway, um, so I had these I had this couple contact me. Um, they were driving down a road in Vader, Washington. Yeah, like Darth Vader, like but Darth Vader. Vader. It's not Darth Vader, Washington. It's just Vader, Darth Washington. Vader. Um, and uh, they were driving down a road, and it was dusk, if I remember right. I'd have to look it up. And I don't remember what year it was, but it was probably 2006. Mm-hmm. I'm making that up. That's what I, my gut feeling is. Um, and they saw what they thought was a stump on the side of the road, like a really big stump. 
And as they got closer, they go, oh, wait, that's not a stump, right? And I'm, I'm reading it going, okay, I know where this is going. It's going to stand up and walk okay. away. No, no, they, they drove up. And when they got moderately close to it, it spread its wings and took flight across the road. And it was only five or 10 feet above their car or something like that. And apparently it was a seven foot tall owl of some sort of thing. They said they could see the feathers as it flew by and whatever else. And I'm thinking, what, what? I'm a Bigfooter. I don't know much about this kind of thing, but there's other reports of big old owls and thunderbirds and whatever else around. So, so I, I don't know what they saw, you know, and even these people who come at me with, you know, Bigfoots are talking to me in their head or they're disappearing out of thin air or appearing out of thin air, or I don't know what, whatever, whatever actions they have doing. Um, I don't necessarily think they're lying. I just think that they're into something that I'm not, interested in because that doesn't that's not what biology does you know bears don't do that yeah. often i'm assuming um so um so i'm just kind of interested in the biological bigfoot thing that's not to say that other weirder stuff doesn't exist you know um the universe is not only weirder than you think it's weirder than you can think um and i'm confident of that that's you know true. weird things have happened to me that i can't explain but um i don't think bigfoot has anything to do with it um, yeah. so, I mean, I take everybody's story as like, okay, this happened to you because I don't think most people are liars. There certainly are. I've been hoaxed before purposefully several times. Um, and people come in, I'm sure people come into the shop and try to spin a yarn at me or whatever. I just don't care. You know, I mean, maybe they're telling me the truth. Maybe they're not. Um, that's why I'm the evidence analyst, because if I can hold it in my hand, yeah. at least I have something objective, not subjective to, uh, to evaluate. Um, stories don't mean much to me. Some people just live and die for Bigfoot sighting reports. Yeah, oh my God, this person saw that. They said they saw this. I don't care. I mean, I mean, not to be too rude about it no, um, because uh, sighting reports are the bread and butter of Bigfooting essentially, Absolutely. but they only get you so far. And a lot of people don't um, evaluate them for their worth. They put far too much stock in them yes. um, because you don't know. Oh God, there are just so many va variables. You don't know how good of an observer the person is. Mm -hmm. You don't know the seeing conditions. You don't know the, the, the length of the distance because people are terrible at estimating time and distance and height and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know. Um, you don't know their language ability. How well are they able to encapsulate what they saw into words and give that to you? And of course, then it comes to you. How good uh, of a listener are you? How well are you able to take what they said and put it into some sort of reality that you can write down or report or whatever to your database if you're going to keep one? Um, yes. Stories are, yeah, uh, words are wind, as they say in Game yes. of Thrones, you know? Um, they might as well be farts in the air, essentially. Um, but <laughs> I mean, they, they, they give you information where and when. Right. And if there's something unusual that it did. But beyond that, there's so much left up to interpretation instead of observation. And right there, I just said it on accident, but that's one of the main problems with, with not only Bigfoot witnesses, but Bigfoot researchers is that they have a very difficult time um, discerning the difference between observation and interpretation. I agree. Um, I agree. So you know. I don't even know what you asked me now, but that's where I ended up. <laughs> No, um, <laughs> no. So, I mean, that's, that's a very, uh, that's a valid 
uh, statement that you just made. I mean, it really is. It's just like whenever a cop um, asks, you know, 10 different people what the robber looked like and the robber is Caucasian and then he's African-American and then he's six foot tall and he's only five foot tall and everyone's interpretation is different. And um, no, but, you know, something happened to him. Yeah. And that's the and and, and if you, yeah yeah and, and if you can if you can uh, um, uh, if you can put numbers on that it helps but you can't so, but there's some things you don't have to trust somebody's subjectivity mm-hmm. like times dates locations and then if they have those things well then you finally have something to go on and beyond where and when the rest of it's kind of fluff the rest of it is approximation at best right you know what I mean. Um, unless I, it hit its head on that tree. We can measure where that, that thing is, you know, uh, there's some things you can measure, but beyond where and when the rest of it's real elusive and kind of wiggly, you know? Um, so I don't, therefore I don't put too much faith or stock or anything into any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So this owl thing, you know, well, they saw something really weird and that's cool. It's not my thing. It's not, not a Bigfoot. Right. Um, and the people who are more paranormally bent on Bigfoot stuff, mm-hmm. well, that's great. I, I, I don't doubt that they have weird shit going on. Um, but what am I going to do about it? Okay. It's all subjective. Yeah. It doesn't help me much. And they might be invested, unbeknownst to them even, I'm guessing. My model right now is that unbeknownst to them, they're actually investigating something far stranger than Bigfoot. Possibly so. Um, that, that's my guess, at least. Because no, I mean, again, that's, that's a good possibility. Um, my personal theory is a lot of times when people have um, good researchers, I have had, you know, I've been on air for 10 years now and I've researched over 300 or I've interviewed over 300 shows. And I have seen researchers who are flesh and blood scientific researchers go woo. And a lot of times I feel like they were not getting the answers they needed. And I don't want to say they just gave up, but it's just like they got to the point where they were hitting a brick wall, brick wall, brick wall. And so they went another avenue to research. And um, for me personally, I'm not there. Uh, I'll, I love to quote Seth Breedlove on this. He says, you cannot solve a mystery with another mystery. That's a which- John Green quote, actually. It was originally John Green, yes. And then yeah. Seth did a very you can't You can't explain one unknown with another is what John yes, said. Yes, yeah. So, um, I mean, you can't. And so it just to me, it, whenever you get into the paranormal aspect, you're adding another layer to this thing that's already mysterious. And you, there, I just feel like I'm not going to get any answers from that. And I do venture out into that and try to understand it when people tell me about it. But um, I think the DNA evidence, the science behind it, um, to me that I'm hoping, I guess I'm just very hopeful that that's going to give us answers more than anything else, which is some of the questions that I have for you. It'll give a larger number of people answers because most of the paranormal stuff is totally subjective based on one person's experience. It is. And one person's experience, you might as well go into religion, you know, um, it does like, what good does that do? Everybody. That's a good point. Um, okay. Real quick. I have... Hmm. And this is gonna this is going to move us into the DNA aspect of your um, evidence analyst position. I have a question from a viewer, Matt Knapp, and he says, "Is environmental DNA a feasible goal for the common Bigfooter at this point?" It's a multi-part question. Should field researchers start focusing more on finding and preserving tracks for environmental DNA testing as opposed to casting the tracks with materials such as plaster? 
because does the plaster destroy or degrade possible DNA that could be collected for testing? Or could substrate debris from the plaster castings be used for envir environmental DNA testing? Viable avenue for your average researcher? No, because it's extremely expensive. Four to $6,000 a test. Yes. Now, if you have that money, that kind of money to gamble, maybe it is. Um, because it's a gamble. Um, there's lots of different ways to get environmental DNA. And I'm I've been looking at some. I've talked to Dr. Meldrum quite a bit about this. Uh, there's even a few other people that are willing to do some stuff, work on some projects with me if we can figure out a right place. Um, the thing is, you want to find a place like the Olympic Project Nest Site or uh, the Blueberry Bog or some, some, some other places that you're completely confident Sasquatches are popping by with some frequency. Now, luckily, based on what I've been what I think I, my, my current model of Bigfoot, what I think I know about Bigfoots, um, they, they are kind of homebodies. They do stick around the same general areas. So environmental DNA might be a, a, um, a more productive avenue than even I think at this point. Um, but it's still, that doesn't change the cost at all. No, um, it's very pricey. And, and I think that personal, I personally think that environmental DNA, I, I think that the, the, the all effort should be put into that at this point, mm -hmm. because um, you know everybody. I'm assuming most people who are listening know who Dr. Dodd Disatel is. Um, you've probably seen him on on Sasquatch Legend Meet Science. He's the guy with the mohawk, etc. Um, he was on that million dollar bounty show or whatever that Stacy Brown Jr. won and the whole thing. Um, uh, he's a, a geneticist. He he does DNA testing. Um, he came to the uh, Lauren Coleman's conference about a year and a half ago or whatever that was. I spoke at it and um, uh, Anna Nakaris was there and a lot of great people were there. I mean, I'm not great, but like I was surrounded by giants in my opinion. Um, and, uh, and Disatel was there and he listened to my talk and we had a great conversation afterwards because um, it, it is taught is Dr. Disatel's opinion that we might be able to alleviate the need for a type specimen for a holotype, a dead Sasquatch to mm -hmm. prove it's real. If, if we can get repeated DNA samples combined with repeated footprint samples combined with repeated good quality footage from one area. Right. Now, and because there isn't, and he's an academic, he, I mean, he was New York University, I believe. He's in Massachusetts now. He changed institutions this past year. But um, uh, he, he's legit is what I'm saying. Um, and he knows far more about gen genes and stuff than I ever will. It's not, it's not my area of focus. But uh, if he is saying, oh, no, we don't need to kill one. We should do these things instead. Right. Yes. Then in my opinion, all effort should be put in there, in my opinion. And that's what I'm doing. All my effort is being put into eDNA footprints and trying to film one of these things. Right. Um, now, so, but is that something for the average Bigfooter? Um, and I'm an average big footer. I can't afford it. So the answer is no, um, but you can gather it. Now, what you can do in the meantime is when you get a line of footprints, um, yeah, cast a couple for sure. Cast a couple, mm -hmm. but then, you know, those other ones that may not look as pretty, I still think you should cast them, but you should gather the dirt instead. You know, you should gather the dirt from underneath them. So, I mean, if you have, I mean, no animal leaves one footprint and that's it. You know, when it's like like playing hopscotch amongst the planets or something like that, just said like, well, boom, OK, the next one is on Jupiter. Like it just doesn't happen that way. And Jupiter, by the way, is a gas giant. You can land on it anyway. But still, 
Um, like you're going to, you want to cast good footprints as many as you can, but there's still going to be some left over. If you're a halfway decent tracker, you can find where the thing walked. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you start collecting the dirt. Right. You know, like the mattress prints, for example. I I'm, I'm, don't know if you guys know about the futon mattress prints that I uh, that were collected. I, I they're in the back, they're in the museum right now. I could go back and show you. Um, I, I could try. You want me to try? I can. We can do it. I mean, um, but you think you can make it work? But I, I don't know. Well, heard well, about oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they're they're on my blog somewhere. I'll unplug this and I'll carry my microphone and we'll see if we can go back to the museum <laughs> I real fast. Appreciate your effort for science. <laughs> oh, this this will work. There, there. There we go. Look at this. You guys, we're getting a tour on night call. All right. Okay. The mattress prints um, collected out of Cheshire, Oregon. Here we go. Okay. There we go. There they go. They're, they're behind me right here. Okay. Um, yeah. They're basically on cloth. Um, a Sasquatch, uh, well, uh, this woman who didn't even believe in Bigfoot, she was driving home from the coast to Eugene, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And oh, I just pushed a button on my laptop here. Um, You're still alive. Here, I better do this. There you go. I'll turn on a, a light here. There we go. Okay. There's so there's some of the museum behind me for, mm-hmm. for you people who will never be able to be here because you look too far. Oh, by the way, we have a Patreon account. You can come participate in that. Anyway. Um, so this woman questions. is driving home. I've had <laughs> questions is, about that. So he has an online store, everybody. Y'all can check it out. I do. Re- revamped online store. My uh, Connor Anderson, my, uh, my friend, manager, and employee. Um, just to, Anyway, this woman is driving home from the coast of Oregon to Eugene, Oregon. And um, at some point, she pulls over on the side of the road uh, and, and, and uh, this pullout in Cheshire, Oregon. And she goes over in the back. Like, I, I thought for a long time, I thought she just had to take a leak and just wasn't telling me. But it turns out she came into the museum a couple of weeks ago and I got to meet her face to face. I'd spoken to her on the phone, of course, but I hadn't got to meet her face to face. And it turns out she was just taking pictures. Um, she's a photographer taking pictures of flowers. And in the back of this turnout, she found this ha- half a dead deer, which I didn't know when I wrote that whole write up right there on it. Um, yeah. but, uh, but there was this futon mattress there. Um, and there were two big muddy footprints on the futon mattress. And she goes, oh, look at that. Isn't that funny? Bigfoots aren't real. Isn't that cute? And then she put it on Facebook. And um, one of her friends, a woman named Sandra Weedman, who's a friend of mine, lives on the coast, friends of Peter Byrne, hangs out with him. Um, she goes, oh, my God, Cliff should know about this. And so she contacted me. And I got, and I was in Nebraska doing a gig out there for, mm-hmm. uh, for Harriet and those people out there in the Nebraska Bigfoot Conference. And, um, and uh, uh, so I got my friend Chris Minier. Um, to go out. And he, long story short, he basically found the, the futon mattress and cut him out of the mat, cut him out. Like those are like legitimately the things the Bigfoot stepped on. That's insane. And I'm completely, I'm completely confident they're real because the morphology is there. Right. Um, but when I, when I first, and Chris just cut them out, he put them into paper bags right away into the, like the service and sort of desiccant to dry them out. Right. And, um, and, and I got out there a few days later with Tom Powell and my wife and my dog. And uh, we went and searched the area. Didn't, I found a few more, I found one scuff mark in the, you know, in the, the gravel where the thing walked, but that, that was about it. Mm-hmm. But the long and short of it is getting back to the, the point is that uh, I collected the, um, the dirt mm-hmm. and I still have it just in case, just in case, because I, I mean, as the technology improves, because eDNA has only been around for a few years right. as the technology improves. I mean, we might be able to pull DNA out of stuff that's hundreds of years old. Like just the, cause remember um, we have tested the dirt of a cave, we being not 
Cliff than Connor at the North American <laughs> Bigfoot Center, mind you. But like like scientists, I'll, I'll just right. say the royal we because I'm not a scientist. I'm a guitar player. But like uh, um, like scientists have tested soil from the ground of caves and have with eDNA and have come up with not only Neanderthal DNA, even though no sign of Neanderthal was found in the cave, none, no, 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 no burials, no bones, no, you know, charred sticks, no fires, nothing. There's no sign Neanderthals lived in this cave, but they found not only Neanderthal DNA in the eDNA of the soil of the cave, but also Denisovan DNA. Denisovan DNA in the soil of the cave too. And the Denisovans are a brand new species. I mean, just from a decade ago or something, right. maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah. Um, but still that, that's pretty remarkable. And that's 35, 50,000 years ago. So I've got the soil from those. I have soil from various footprints that I've personally cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. So if you're out there and you find a trackway, do not the most foolish thing you could do um, is cast one. That's it. The, that's just a newbie amateur mistake. You know, it really is. And if you're one of those newbie amateurs, I'm sorry if I'm hurting your feeling, but um, this is some tough love. If you have six footprints, or if you have two footprints, you should cast as many as you possibly can, even if it means that you have to cast a shell of them and put plastic or put paper or toilet. Bob Titmus put toilet paper in the back of it, you know, yeah. and, um, and, and like just to reinforce it, you know, that's how he got those 10 footprints in a row at the Patterson Gimlin film site. Let's go over here. I mean, I think that's a really oh. good, that's a, that's a really good point is we, we don't just want the perfect pretty ones. We want to show how this thing moved. Well, the pretty ones don't share very much information. Mm-hmm. Back there on the wall, um, the ones on the, oops, sorry, the, the, the cast on the left and right, those are the ones Roger and Bob took that day. Mm-hmm. The other ones in the middle are the ones Titmus took. That was only three out of three. Yeah, only three out of the 10 that he took. Right. Um, Roger and Bob got those two on the outside, and they're the prettiest ones, you know, because back in the day, the researchers were naive and they were making mistakes. They would cast the, um, the nicest looking footprints in order to show what the foot looked like. Well, that doesn't mean very much to a real good tracker and certainly not to an anatomist. Right. Um, and it's, it's actually the dirty footprints, the ones that are messy, mm-hmm. that share more information than anything else. So if you only cast one, that means, well, you probably don't know very much about Bigfoot at this point, honestly, mm-hmm. um, because that's all over the place. Like Dr. Grover Kranz wrote about in his 1992 or one book. Mm-hmm. Well, if you haven't read Dr. Kranz's book and it's been out since 91, you're kind of new, right? right. Um, so yeah, you should cast the messy ones mm-hmm. and you should also cast as many as you possibly can. But the other places where the Sasquatch foot hits the ground, collect the dirt, Absolutely. save it, put it in the fridge. You're going to have like your, your, your wife or husband might think you're weird, but they know you, they already married you. Yeah. I mean, I grew up with, I don't even want to I'm going to say this and I'm sorry, mom, but I grew up with feces and hair and weird things in our freezer that probably shouldn't have been in our freezer, but she was a Bigfoot researcher and she collected things for DNA sampling eventually. It's very expensive, like you said, but let's just say you have that piece of whatever, the dirt from that track, and you have it in your fridge and there becomes a DNA testing avenue that is not outrageous and you know like you said technology becomes more advanced and you can submit that and solve the puzzle 
just keep it in your fridge. It's fine. It doesn't even yeah. take up the same amount of room as a tub of sour cream. Just keep yeah. it over here in the corner. Tell your spouse not to touch it and not to open it, not to check out what it is. If you have a power outage, go get some ice and put it on ice. That's your priority, not your milk. Yeah. And again, cast as many prints as possible. The, the worst newbie mistake. And Roger and Bob did the same. Roger had cast another like four or five more footprints before he got Patty's footprints. But yet he made the newbie mistake of casting one left and one right. Total newbie, naive, new stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just saying. You know, yeah, I'm going to say I'm not going to judge, but that's a total judgment. I get it. And but uh, but if I can just reinforce to everybody listening, you're obviously listening, interested in Bigfoot, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to me blab about stuff on this podcast. Um, do yourself better. Up your game. Absolutely. Up yours in general, but up your game and uh, <laughs> cast more footprints. Cast the messy ones because it's the messy ones that are going to be able to tell someone like me or some other cast nerd whether what you cast is real or not. The more beautiful your print is, the less I'm going to be convinced by it. And if you can uh, give me some messy ones and they still pass the muster, all right, maybe you got something. Yeah, the messy ones show movement. And those give the data that people like Cliff needs to verify your track, which is very important. Having second and third parties verify your evidence is something that needs to be the status quo in the Bigfoot community. And there is a nice way to do it. Um, where like Cliff, you educate the person on why this is hoaxed or why this is not legit. Um, rather if than it's just, hoaxed, I won't tell them why I think that, by the way, oh. <laughs> just in case they're the hoaxers. Cause right. I never know. I trust everybody. I'm a little naive in that way. Heads up on that. Sorry. It's okay. Um, but I think, you know, the, the route that you take on education is very important that like right now you're saying, if you're new to this and you find a trackway, do it like this. I think education, that's very important to me. It's more important to cast two rights than a left and a right or two lefts. See, new people watching this show would have no idea. So education. You by the way, somebody in the chat room is named Thingle Gray Cloak. Very nice, by the way. I've read the Cimmerillion far more times than I'd be uh, normally willing to publicly uh, admit. <laughs> yes. So anyway, Thingle, I know exactly who you're talking about. King of Dor- Doriah. Yes. Anyway, anyway, go ahead. They have been very active in there. Um, so I did want to add real quick. There was a question from Texas Bigfoot Rangers that said, exactly how much evidence do you have in your fridge, Cliff? I've got some. Yeah, I've got um, those face swabs that we got at the Texas conference right now. They're taking up the ent- almost the entire butter section of my refrigerator. And Melissa is just like, all right, she knows what she got into. Yeah, um, yeah so we, uh, the, the, that face print that showed up outside of Tyler, Texas this past mm-hmm. October, and the people were kind enough to bring the entire plate of glass to the Texas the conference. And uh, Shelly and I took some time and took a face print out of it and, um, you know, took some swabs. So yes, so some that face numerous... print, you know, something that, you know, I got to see the face print in person at the conference and, you know, we, we had flashlights and headlamps on that face print and you couldn't really, it was small, like you said. Um, okay. If you go listen to Cliff and Bobo's podcast, the beyond, um, Cliff gives a, uh, an, a recount of everything that happened with the Jefferson conference and with that encounter and everything. He even adds his own sound effects. And I don't mean computer sound <laughs> effects. I mean, like Cliff does the sound effects of pew, 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 all of it. So you have to go listen to that episode and then you'll understand. Um, but I saw that plate of glass and I saw the light shining on it and it wasn't as impressive as I thought it would be. I was just like, Oh, 
you can barely see it. I was like, but that's, that's cool. Until you, uh, Shelly Covington, Montana lifted it with the fingerprint method. So she lifted it just like a fingerprint. And that's when you could see the detail. That's when you could see how big it was. That was what was impressive to me. And I wish that we would have done that and showed everyone at the conference. However, um, it was, it was impressive the amount of oil that the fingerprint powder and everything picked up. And then you could see the actual layout of the face. That and we're just improvising. We didn't have fingerprint graphite. We didn't even have the right kind of brush. Right. Shelly, luckily, is in the makeup. And we used whatever. And my wife is as well. And I, I mean, I should know this, I guess, because I'm surrounded by makeup and blood and gore and all sorts of stuff all the time because my wife's uh, hobbies and whatever else. Uh, but uh, or, or, you know, her artistic endeavors, I should say, they're not more, a lot more than hobbies to her. Um, but uh, yeah, she used some sort of like dark eye powder stuff. Yeah. And she, she did a great job. I couldn't have done it without her. And I owe her a lot. Yeah, no, she did a great job. Um, but that whole pulling that off. So first, um, just to recount for everyone real quick, there was an incident that happened outside of Tyler, Texas to a family, a non-Bigfoot related family, and it was a Bigfoot related incident that happened to these people. Um, and I'm giving a quick recount here. The Bigfoot, um, allegedly peeked into the glass and left a face print and the family anonymous we're going to call them john and jane doe they brought the glass to the texas bigfoot conference and had it in a back room and everyone at the conference was allowed to go look at that glass and so um cliff ended up kind of supervising watching shelly she lifted the print after they got a dna analysis of the residue that was left um cliff do you want to tell them a little bit about that residue well, it's just, it's just like face goo, essentially. Like if you rub your nose or whatever against a piece of glass, you would leave some sort of oils on it. But if this is a Sasquatch print, as I think it is, um, they're particularly oily. Um, they're very oily animals in general, actually. And uh, and they, it left kind of a lot of it. And coincidentally, a few weeks before that, we were talking to Doug Hycheck on the podcast, Bigfoot and Beyond with Bobo and I. Um, and Doug was saying, yeah, I'm looking for some of that white goo that they leave on them. You know, and it turns out this dropped into our lap two or three weeks later. And so uh, it's a couple of those. I took seven samples, I believe. Um, and two of them are going to go to Doug Hycheck because he wants to test one for DNA and test another for a chemical analysis, like a chemical analysis of the, of the stuff. Cause he found, he's been doing research and he found out that apparently each ape has a, a, a very specific um, yes. chemical composition to their oils. Mm -hmm. So um, he wants to compare that with all the other apes and stuff. So, so, okay. So yeah, I had Doug on a couple weeks ago and um, he had mentioned all of that as well and how you guys were kind of splitting it up, splitting up the evidence and, and doing the DNA analysis because it's so expensive. Well, see, that's the thing, like, you know, cause uh, Lauren Coleman pointed this out, like most, um, a lot, I, I'll say most, although I, that, that might not be accurate, but I'll say it anyway. Um, most um, Bigfoot or Bigfoot research nowadays is essentially being funded by reality TV. Um, and, and so like if Doug makes another legend meet science or something like that, right. well, then, then it's the production company's pockets that are paying for these DNA tests that cost four or $5,000 and they might even get a good deal on it. Maybe it only costs them $2,000 or something, right. but that's something that's out of the reach of most people. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's also another reason why it's so important to, uh, re have integrity in what you do on television, in my opinion. In fact, you know, like there was a show I, I got, I was involved with last year called the Alaskan triangle. Um, it's about weird 
stuff that happens in Alaska. I, I still haven't seen, I was in two episodes. I still haven't seen both of them. I have no idea. I saw the, I saw, I did a lake monster thing, which is cool because it's a tangential interest of mine. I'm super interested in it. Uh, I haven't devoted the time that I have to like sea serpents and stuff mm -hmm. that I have to Sasquatches, but I'm super interested in it. I think it's really cool. Another very real biological avenue of study, you know? And then I did another one on Sasquatches up there. Yeah. I still haven't seen the Bigfoot one. I'd like, I kind of like to, um, I saw the other one, but when they, but I guess the point of it is that when they called me the production company from uh, the UK, um, they said, Hey, um, we, we like what you've been doing. We've seen you on other shows and would you want to be part of this project? And the first thing I told them, I remember, I, I said, um, I said, oh, yeah, uh, well, we can certainly talk about it. But what you should know first is that if you want someone to, to toe the storyline and just say what you want them to say, even though I don't agree with it, um, you should look somewhere else because I will not do that. You can pay me money, but I will not do that when you need it most. Um, I'm not that guy. I'm going to tell if you want somebody to truthfully analyze and give you my opinion, my truthful opinion about what I see, um, then yeah, then I'm all about it. We can work together. And they said, no, no, you're exactly the person we want. We don't want to fake right. anything. We don't want to lie. And I, that's what I tell production companies yeah. when they call. I, I've done two, three, I've done four or five productions in the last six months um, that I'll be airing over the next, you know, I don't know, year, I guess. I don't really know. I'm not involved in any of that. I just kind of smile on camera and say stuff. But um, uh, uh, at the end of the day, I, I tell every one of these people, like, if you want someone to play ball, I'm not your guy. If you want someone to give a real level-headed, honest analysis of what I think really is going on, even if that means destroying your storyline, mm -hmm. that's me. Let me know. And I picked up some gigs out of it, which is nice. Yeah, no, I and I probably lost several as well. I might add. <laughs> I mean, but that actually uh, raises my respect for the production companies because um, just the sheer amount of shows that you've been on, knowing that that's your criteria, that's your bottom line. It's the and, first thing I tell them, and that you've been on this many shows educating people. I think that's amazing. That raises my respect for them. I will be honest. Well, I can't control what happens in the editing room, but if I, if I have it, if it comes out of my mouth, you know, that I'm, I'm telling you what I, I see is the truth while I'm saying it. Right. No, I, I respect that and I appreciate it. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that as well, because a lot of people have questions about that. We had the whole sellout discussion before we went live and, um, and I, I just hope that shores people's beliefs, shores up people's beliefs that, you know, you're not getting on there and just, you know, trying to make money off of this topic. Like you really are researching, you really are an evidence analyst and you really, you know, have integrity. Well, I care. I can say that. I mean, I've, I've, I'm certain, like I know for a fact, I've said things on the air that I thought were correct at the time and I ended up being incorrect. I know I'm positive of it. It happens, you know, but like if the worst somebody if the worst my critics and haters can say about me is that I'm occasionally wrong, mm -hmm. I think I'm doing all right. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I think it's a learning process. There's been too many times that I've said something that eventually later on, I mean, just in research in general, you go out and you think something is one thing and then you listen to the audio later and you're like, yeah, that was a coyote. Totally yeah. thought that was something. I mean, it's a learning process. No one has the corner market on Bigfoot research. No one. Um, okay, so you have been to 46 states and five different continents, and you live in the Cascades of Oregon. What is your favorite area to research? Oh, here. That's why I live here. 
Okay. Next yeah, question. Yeah, I, I grew up in Southern California. <laughs> I decided to live where I vacationed because life is too short not to. I was going to say, that's the dream. You're living the dream, man. I'm next living question. a dream. I sometimes wake up screaming, but yeah. <laughs> so the next question, you've, you've been to all these places through Finding Bigfoot, through all these other shows. What area have you wanted to research that you haven't got to yet? Coastal British Columbia, outside of Vancouver Island. Okay. And why? Yeah. Um, because I think that the habitat is beyond perfect. I think that there's probably a good number of Sasquatches. Um, I mean, there aren't 20 per square mile or anything. Don't get me wrong. They're very rare no matter what. But uh, the habitat there is so des- not desolate because it's so thick. Mm-hmm. It, it's so undisturbed, I guess I should okay. say. So um, even and I guess so than Alaska, because that was kind of the whole. Well, yeah, but Alaska. Alaska's gnarly, man. Like if, if you, yeah. but as, um, and and Alaska, it's a weird place. Alaska's a really weird place. Um, I mean, the the the, the trees are weird because they're all real skinny, so they don't hold snow load like they're all really skinny um like evolution happens like that you know and uh and the, the animals are like it, it's a weird place the people are weird the attitude is weird like every i love alaska don't get me wrong i'm not saying oh these bad evil alaskans i'm saying that they're a peculiar folk that live up there just like um the people who live in maine are a peculiar folk and i think mainers would agree with me on that there's a reason they live up in those far you know those those corners of the continent is right. to keep us away you know um but but british the coast of british columbia has such an abundant food supply um that it it just it must hold a tremendous number of large mammals Mm -hmm. because the food is so abundant there and especially for something like the sasquatch or or brown bears or something like that Mm -hmm. and there just must be so many large omnivores there um, and I'd love to go poking around. And I guess at, I, I'd also honestly love to cast a pristine brown bear footprint, you know, let alone a Sasquatch print. But like, I would love to get a big old brown bear footprint. I've gotten right. plenty of black bears. I've seen brown bears like on the Alaska Triangle thing, but I've, I've never cast a really nice brown bear print. So that's where I'd like to go. Okay. All right. So we'll try to well, rapid fire these or something too. So I, know. I, I don't, I don't yeah. know. I, I'll stick with you as long as you like, but you know, okay. I don't know. I don't want, I, I know that you have an end at some point. So. I do. So I'm going to ask a couple more and then uh, try to get through the questions from the chat. If I, if I can, if not, if I don't get to your question from the chat, go ahead and ask in the comments and I will make sure that, you know, I get that answer to you guys or that Cliff answers those. Um, so this one, this one was, I, I, I expect a good answer from you. No pressure. Um, if you could research with anyone, past or living, who would it be and why? Hmm. There's a lot of answers to that. I would like to be out in the woods with John Napier a lot, um, who was a head of primatology at the Smithsonian for a long time. And he wrote that great Bigfoot book, too, back in the early 1970s, because mm-hmm. he is so widely respected. Um, amongst primatologists in general. And he took the subject pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. I would, uh, Krantz, I think, you know, I, I would have to say Krantz. Okay. Yeah, Dr. Krantz, because he's, he, uh, um, he was so influential upon me in my early days of Bigfooting. 
you know, after I discovered those other two books that I mentioned earlier in the library, I, I, I was fortunate enough to fall on Dr. Grover Krantz's uh, book, his, the first edition of his book, uh, Big Footprints. Um, second edition is called Bigfoot Sasquatch Evidence, but the first edition of his book uh, crossed my desk. And I have probably read that book more than Thingol, uh, Gray Cloak, has read The Cimmerillion, which I think they said, which he has said 11, if I remember, or she has said 11. Right. Um, so I, I've read, I've certainly read Dr. Krantz's book more than 11 times. Um, and he was so influential and, but so early on in the game. And of course, Dr. Meldrum, I've had the pleasure. I, I, I consider Jeff a friend, you know, I could call Jeff and yes. just shoot the poop with him and stuff. He stayed at my house and stuff like that. You know, like right. we've gone in the woods together and expedition. So I've gone with him. So I, he's not on the list, but Krantz would have been somebody I would have loved to have met. Um, he died before, uh, I was Bigfooting while he was alive, but, um, again, I'm a quiet introverted homebody that I, I don't, uh, my first excursion into social Bigfooting at all was 2000 or 2001 when, um, I, I had luck. I was lucky enough to have befriended Tom Yamarone at that point. And Tom was very close with, uh, Bob and Kathy Strain, although it, she was Kathy Moskowitz at that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was invited out with them on one of their expeditions and met a number of people and mm-hmm. stuff. And I like, and that was my first excursion into, um, socially big footing, like networking in that way. Although I'd met Larry Lund many years earlier, he was also very close, but um, I never had a chance to meet Kranz. And he was so influential upon me and just my whole thought process. That's why I was pro kill for a while. Cause Kranz was, he, his argument made sense to me. Okay. Um, yeah. So I guess Kranz would be top of that list. I think okay. at this point, and John Napier would be up there because I respect his work. And I think that he would have a lot to learn about what we've learned since about Bigfoot since he was interested in the subject in the early 70s? I think that's a great answer. Um, you know, I mean, I think that's a great answer and that your your thoughts are allowed to change. You don't have to be, you know, exactly one way for your entire career as a Bigfoot researcher. Oh, no, and like, no, I don't even know what I think, you know? <laughs> I feel that way all the time. Um, I think I, I have it and this is how I feel. And then the next time I get out in the woods, that might change. Mm. Um so, okay, um, what is the, what is your most v- invaluable piece of equipment that you can't research without? Or I'm going to add to this question and say, um, that could, that doesn't necessarily mean, uh, equipment that could be one of your five senses. What is something that you hold more dear than anything else when you go out in the woods? Persistence. Okay. Yeah, it's like it's like learning a guitar or martial arts or any other thing. Persistence is more important than skill. Um, it's it's going to the same place and try and doing things there just to just to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hitting the same spot again and again and again and again and again and again, um, yes. and coming up with nothing. You know they're there sometimes. You just got to keep going back. Um, it's patience and persistence, I would say, because they overlap so much with one another that I would think they're they're not quite the same thing. They're just different angles on the right. same. Consistency. Absolutely. Um, Okay. So let me ask a few questions from the chat real quick. Hold on. I got to scroll. There's a lot. Um, If you could, this is is a good one. If Cliff could wake up, and this is from Bama Murdoch, if Cliff could wake up in the morning and there be one single huge thing have happened in the Bigfoot world, what would you want that one thing to be? Um... I would say that the guys who film planet earth got some, um, 4k footage of Sasquatches. That's a good answer. 
Yeah, like instead of a snow leopard, like that guy hanging out in the snow blind for six months and getting that with those few shots, I think that they got a Yeti uh, feeding on a snow leopard. I think that would be pretty cool. Agreed. Um, yeah, that would be fantastic. Just to have someone non-Bigfoot related get that shot, but a good quality shot from someone like that. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, some some real high-level guy. That's yes. why the, 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 um, um, the uh, what's his name? Um Gareth Patterson is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy, the, the South African researcher that uh, has discovered these Otangs over there, mm-hmm. um, uh, that he's so important because he has a worldwide recognition. If he says these things are there, people will listen. And maybe somebody of that stature, if they could film something on some high quality equipment, then perhaps I think that'd be very useful. I think that's, that's a good one. Um, weird realities would like to know what is the weirdest or creepiest cryptid experience that has happened to you? Um, nothing too weird. I mean, I, I've been with, uh, like, I've been with Bobo a few times. He's kind of a weird guy in general, but, um, he's seen like uh, floating blue orbs and stuff. When I was standing 10 feet from him, I didn't see him. Um, I've been out. I remember I was with Cid, Cindy, uh, Dosen and Bobo and Moneymaker and Wally and a few other people on Vancouver Island back in the day. And, uh, Bobo and Cindy went out on this abandoned railroad track, you know, on this raised up thing. And um, they were out with these therms, like early therms for us. You know, we didn't have our act together as far as thermal imagers go. And um, they called back for batteries. And I said, well, I'll I'll go run them out to you real fast. You know, so I was going through my stuff and whatever. And then uh, Bobo radios. All right, Cliff, I see uh, I'm over to the right and I'm in camp. Right. And I go, go, what? So I call back, hey, Bobs, what's up? He goes, yeah, I'm over to the right. You're, you're You're going too far to the south or whatever he said. I go, dude, I'm in camp. He goes, well, who's that then? I go, I don't know. Who is that then? Um, and he, he saw a, uh, uh, an amber colored LED light mm-hmm. cruising in the woods or whatever. So we don't know what that is. That's, um, that's why I don't write off this orb nonsense. You know, I mean, I say nonsense, but like, I don't know if they're related to Bigfoots or if they're just out in the woods or I don't know any of that stuff. There's no reason to think that they're associated with Sasquatches, except that we were there looking for Bigfoots. But that doesn't mean there's actually an association. It just means that there's an association in here. So, um, yeah, that's I don't write off what people tell me. Even the most bizarre, ridiculous-sounding, weird stuff. File I listen. Away for later. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's associated. Relevant. Yeah, doesn't mean it's associated with Bigfoot. Maybe it is, but yeah, I've never experienced anything like that. So, but Bobo has, and I've been out with Bobo a few times, and the weird things got weird. I've I've seen an orb and I was upset because I was looking for Bigfoot and saw an orb instead. Um, I actually had somebody tell me that, and I was, I was really upset about that orb. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was really upset. Um, But I actually had somebody tell me that their theory was that orbs are drones for Bigfoot. And I can't remember who Mm. told me that, but I said, okay. I said, well, you know, I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm just going to say that I don't know if the two are related. It's up to them to gather evidence to support their hypothesis. Absolutely. That is a very, very good and tactful answer. It's not up to me to believe them until they do, though. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so Lori, my mom, would like to know, does Cliff consider audio as evidence? Yeah, it's evidence. It's not real strong evidence, though. Um, but it is evidence to some degree. It's it's about as strong of evidence, I think, as perhaps sighting reports are. Mm -hmm. Um, because without eyes to see, like, unless you're, um, a bioacoustic kind of expert, what does it mean to anybody except for, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't, I don't, I mean, to me, I've, I've collected audio that I think is Sasquatch audio, but I don't put, you know, it's not, it's not real strong evidence is the bottom line. It's fun. It's fun to collect. I get that. 
but I don't just like DNA. I don't have the expertise in DNA. I pass it on to people who do. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah. But, but audio is certainly evidence. It's just not real strong evidence. It's a problem. I understand because there are so many things that it could be or, you know, and we do put it up against other audio, but unless you were there watching it, watching the creature do it again, it's just like tree knocks or anything else. It, it could be anything until you see. Yeah. It a video of a Sasquatch vocalizing would be pretty strong evidence. Yes. And it would also help support the audio evidence, mm -hmm. but we totally, to my knowledge, we completely lack the one-on-one -on -one correlation between Sasquatches and these sounds. I've heard what I think are Sasquatches. I, I'm willing to say that that is a Bigfoot. But at the end of the line, um, that if I give it to someone with some letters, a PhD after their name, it doesn't mean it actually was a Bigfoot. It's up to, it's up to me to show them that. And I understand that the onus is on me. Mm -hmm. um, it's not on the other person to believe me. Science isn't about belief and evidence shouldn't be about belief either. You should eliminate all possible, uh, everything else. You know, I've, I've heard Sasquatches plenty of times, I should say, in my opinion, I have. And maybe I'm wrong. I'm certainly wrong about some of them. I'm, I'm, I'm not infallible by any means. I make lots of mistakes. And some days I think if I wasn't making a mistake, I wouldn't be doing anything. But, uh, it, it, but it's, I don't, no, nobody should believe me. You should question everything I say to see if it fits into the paradigm, you know, to see if the evidence supports it. I agree. I think that's, I mean, I think that's well stated. All right. Last question. What does non-celebrity, I know you love that term. What does non-celebrity cliff do outside of your museum and gigs? Well, I don't have a lot of gigs, unfortunately, um, especially this the COVID year, thing going just on. Just this year, it's 2020. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, um, well, I, I play some guitar. Um, I spend a lot of time on the property because I've got 23 and a half acres. It takes a tremendous amount of um, time and effort to get, even get a, a fraction of that done. Um, I do like to spend, I just, I kind of like spending time at home with my wife and dog, honestly. I um, if I've been home I, and I, I have, it seems like I'm, con I'm just, I'm on this endless pursuit to organize that I'm constantly failing at. It's like holding back the tide. Um, I have a lot of issues with that. Um, I'm, I'm, I may, I, um, I, I do go to the, but non bigfooting stuff. Um, I've or gotten into a couple of big, Oh, okay. Counts. Well, you know, I try to go to the woods as much as I can. It's, okay. it's a little less lately now that I'm anchored to this, uh, the museum here. Mm -hmm. Um, most of my bigfooting in the last year or so has been reactionary versus, um, exploratory. Like I used to, I used to go to areas to see if they're there, that kind of thing, yes. you know, but, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's the COVID. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but like the last year or so, whenever, like about once a month, about somebody walks into the shop who saw one in the last couple of days, or I hear about it, I get a call. Yes. So most of my field work has been reactionary okay. um, in that sort of way. So I haven't been spending as much time in the woods as I'd like. And now it's winter and who wants to go when it gets dark at four o'clock, you know, it's four, dark by four 30 and I got to wait till midnight to start doing stuff. It's like, and I, yeah. I could, I could have got a full night's sleep, you know, during that time alone. Um, so I don't know. Um, but you know, I, I try to, I try to, you know, pluck away at the guitar a little bit. Um, there's a couple of video games have caught my attention. They're kind of fun. Um, okay. I've been watching the Mandalorian. I'm really into that. Um, I don't know. Just uh, uh, hang out with friends sometimes. You know, I like to cook my wife dinner occasionally. So, you know, okay. just okay. like boring, boring living stuff. It's I don't know. Boring to me. People say, you know, oh, it's just boring. But to me, 
I'm that girl. I believe it's self-care. And so the boring stuff to me, like spending time with my family and just doing home stuff, I don't know. To me, that's just as, as important as going out in the woods because I love my nature time. If I could get out in the woods every day, I would be happier than anybody. But that's why I live there. Exactly. I know you, you're living the dream. Um, but you know, just to me, boring in the year 2020, boring is healthy to me because you're realizing what's important. You're doing what's important to you, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Right. There's a whole well, lot of, there's a whole lot of work on my property I need to do, you know, we'll I have a North here. facing slope, so I got to treat, tr- clear some trees out so we get a little bit more sunlight on the, right. yeah, I don't know. There, there's a whole lot to do man, all the time. I mean, I, so to me, you know, 2020 is a chance to, um, get caught up on all the things that you never had time to do because of whatever else. That's where I'm at anyway, yeah. clearly yeah. doing the show, but Um, I appreciate you coming on tonight so much. Thank you so much for coming. And it's been an honor to have you on and to just uh, pick your brain about all the things. Yeah, there's no honors involved. I'm just a Bigfooter like everybody else. I'm not a Bigfoot expert. I don't think they exist. Um, I may be an expert on the subject, but not the animals. I'm still learning like everybody else is. And um, I don't like being put up on pedestals. Um, because I'm just like everybody else doing the best job I can. I may have more experience than your average person. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's just the the fortunate circumstance I find myself in. Well, and the hard work you've put in behind it. I mean, don't discount that because you have done the research, you've done the legwork. Um, yes, you've been doing it for over 20 years, but you've, you're not just letting it come to you. You've put in the legwork to go learn about everything that you can to support your scientific hypothesis or evidence or whatever research. Yeah, that may be true from a certain perspective, but keep, keep this in mind. And this is something that I think is lost in the Bigfoot community is that I'm nobody special. You know, I mean, I literally have a good, I have a music degree, you know, I'm not, I'm not qualified for this. Mm -hmm. I just happen to do it. And I've spent, I've done my homework. I've spent my time. I'm not taking the flights of fancy. Um, I've, uh, the, the things I've written and the things I say are, are fairly well grounded, I think, in evidence. Um, I'm moder- I'm weird, but I'm not, not crazy. I'm moderately level-headed. Um, I'm not anything special. So whatever people out there think of me, mm-hmm. that's you. That's all of us. You know, that's all of us. And, and when I'm out there, people say, oh, Cliff's so scientific. And so, yeah, well, we should all do that. We should all be well grounded in our hypotheses and have evidence support the things that we suspect about them. Because when we talk on TV, when we talk to the news, when we write anything for a blog, when you do a podcast, um, like it or not, everything you say represents every single one of us. And um, if I'm going to go talk crazy stuff, you know, about whatever, you know, Bigfoots are interdimensional, shape-shifting, ground, underground-dwelling, UFO-riding, whatevers. And, and, and maybe you think that. That's fine. You certainly don't think all of those things I said, which is why I said it like that. Right. But if you if you think that, realize that you represent every single person involved in this whole game, including the animals themselves. Uh, that's a tremendous responsibility. You yes. don't have to be qualified. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the world or the girl. In the, you don't have to be the smartest woman in the world. You don't have to be anything except for sincere and sane. And, and a lot of people don't qualify for those. Integrity. But you have to it, have it, integrity. Yeah. It sure helps. A lot of people without integrity sure get a loud megaphone. But um, at the same time, just uh, for, for people watching, 
my, I guess my point is I'm nothing special. Um, and you can be nothing special too. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you have the aforementioned characteristics and yeah, I'm, I, I'm obviously not saying that right, but I think you, I think you understand, I think you're hearing the song I'm singing. So I do. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, to me, integrity is one of the number one characteristics that you should have. Um, because your anything that you give to the Bigfoot community, any of your beliefs, they, you should have integrity standing behind you. Um, if you choose to, you know, say something that, you know, whatever, if it's woo, if it's paranormal, if it's untrue, whatever, you should have integrity standing behind you. And if you don't have integrity for the truth of this topic, you're not doing the Bigfoot community any favors. You are taking or the us animals. backwards. Or the animals. Nor- you are taking us backwards. And you're not doing us any favors. So just don't. That's all yeah. I have to say about that. And and, and 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 for everybody else who aren't, don't, who don't have a position, who don't have um, a reporter asking you about it, do it because you love it. Because anything, in my opinion, anything born out of love will be uh, um, suitably represented. Absolutely. Know? That's a great place to stop right there, I would say. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. And um, you just stay safe, stay healthy, and keep bringing that education down to us. Yeah, I'll do what I can. All right. Thank you so much, Cliff, for coming on tonight. Bye. All right. Bye. All right, everybody, next week we have Amy Boo on of The Olympic Project and also Project Zoo Book. And her brand new show, which she's going to tell us about, The Wild Boo Yonder. Um, I cannot wait to have Amy on. I met her at the Jefferson Conference as well. And you guys, she is just as amazing in real life as she is on your screen, on your Facebook. So I cannot wait to have Amy on. She will be on December 20th, 2020, 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time as usual. And so you guys tune in live. You can ask her questions. You guys know how it works. All right, one little last plug here. We have a brand new logo for Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. You can go represent your favorite podcast by clicking the link in the description to get your own Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio gear. I have a ton of new products in the Teespring store. I cannot wait for you guys to see them. I literally want to buy one of everything. So you guys go check it out. And I appreciate everybody for being here tonight. Thank you for tuning into the show. I sure hope you enjoyed it. Please drop a comment and let me know what you thought of the show, as well as who you would like to see me interview in the future. Don't forget to check out the Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio social media sites that I mentioned earlier for extra content and info on upcoming shows. 